I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Welcome to the Roll for Initiative Podcast. The Roll for Initiative Podcast, volume number three, issue number 114. DM Vince sitting alongside DM Nick today. Hello, everybody. Today we're going old school, back to the old days when it was just me and Nick sitting side by side. Yes, side by side, thousands of miles away. Well, yeah, be quiet. <laughs> the illusion. <laughs> blue, blue, you know. Anyway, DM Matt cannot join us today because we're wishing him the best of luck as he's involved in a large, uh, I believe, final round of the HeroClix tournament where he can actually win a whole lot of stuff. So uh, good luck to Matt. Yes, good luck, Matt, to you. Hope uh, hope you win uh, the tournament. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, if he wins, I believe he was saying he gets a badge and transportation and a bunch of other stuff to Dragon Con. Or oh, sweet. Yeah, that's what he was wrote in his email to me. So hopefully he wins, and uh, good luck, Matt. And hopefully he's not listening to this editing the show, going you beep 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 because <laughs> he lost. <laughs> you son of a beep. Yeah. So uh, it's been a real week since we had a show so uh, nick what have you been up to well let's see um my friend jeff started a new another new campaign oh boy yeah just trying something out see how everybody liked it and it's really cool we played uh last weekend it's been it was really fun uh it's kind of it's very uh humanocentric uh world not a whole lot of uh, demi-humans around so most, I think everybody's playing a human, and it's very much like uh, Game of Thrones. It's very, uh, lots of intrigue and uh, backstabbing and <laughs> death dealing and all that sort of stuff. So, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it's different. I like it. I like it. So, we'll see how far this goes with everybody. But, you know, that that's pretty much what else is new. Anything with the kids campaign, or is that on hold for now? Uh, you know, I just got to get sit, get everybody together uh, on it. I maybe next weekend. Mm-hmm. I'll just uh, see if I can get everybody together. So that's where that stands. That's awesome. Uh, yep. Well, I've been uh, doing trying to. We had one session of our uh, D six MIB game online, and I had uh, uh, Chris and his uh, his girlfriend Shelly playing in the game. Uh, and we did the first adventure. It went pretty well, but they disobeyed a direct order from the MIB director, so now they're in trouble. Uh-oh. Oh, well, you know, that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we got Crispy coming in as the babysitter agent to uh, to keep control of the new agents in our next session, uh, hopefully next week if we can get together. So is is the, uh, the head agent, the director, is he the uh, – um, is he the Rip Torn character? No, actually, we're following the storyline of the movies in the third movie that just recently oh, okay. came out. I don't know if you've seen it in any else. Yes, I have. All right, yeah, well, it's really fun. For those that haven't seen it out there, uh, they had since Rip Torn was in jail at the time. Yeah, they decided to write his character out of the show and say he had passed away. Not hosting an intergalactic kegger. Yeah, Zid. <laughs> yeah, I would have liked to have seen him in the movie, but you know, he went a little nuts there with the. Uh, Breaking and entering and waving a gun around, so he kind of went to jail. 
Yeah. So he was not available. So they wrote him out and they put Agent O in charge, who was, I can't forget, remember the actress's name. Oh, well, whatever. Anyway, but she was in charge and uh, she was very moody to the agent, so. Yes. The I, li- I really liked that movie. It was fun. Yeah. It, it was it was a lot better than the second one. I'll definitely say yeah. that. So what's your girl's name? Darren? Uh, Starin. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, Staren. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, she's, oh, yeah. She's Greek. <laughs> yeah, that was too funny. Staren. <laughs> uh, yeah, so hopefully we'll get to playing that uh, next week. That's Emma Thompson. That was the name. Emma Thompson. Yep. Yeah, I had to look it up because it was bothering me what the name was. And then they had uh, Alice Eve play the all young Emma Thompson character agent. Oh. Yes. And I do have to say that Josh Brolin did an excellent job of imitating Tommy Lee Jones. Oh my gosh, that was so cool. Absolutely. Definitely. Anyway, and I was supposed to, and I'm really mad about this, supposed to have my face-to-face game yesterday. Well, by the time I hear this, it'll be a week ago. But two players out of uh, the six showed up. The other ones decided to do a no-show, no-call, if you want to go by work terms. Yeah, we were kind of off for three weeks from not playing, and I mean, it was up on the meetup that we were, and it messages you like a week before the game, so there was really no excuse for not emailing me, texting me, or even just you know sending a letter in the mail to me. I mean, that stinks. Yeah, it kind of ticked. I think it ticked off the other, the two players that showed up and they wanted to play, but they. They seemed like they were tired and they understood, so they just kind of went home. We, we hung around for a couple hours and chatted about superhero stuff and argued about who would win in a battle versus this person or that person. Talk about the new Iron Man 3 film. Yes, the new Iron Man that just had uh, come out. We talked about that. And how, oh, I want to see that. How Robert Downey Jr. is not doing the Iron Man 4 so far. So There's going to be a fourth? Well, there was, yeah, they're con- they contracted for four movies. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. is contracted only for through the Avengers 2 movie. Uh, so he's not doing the fourth one unless they convince him to. So, uh, I know we'll do it. Money. <laughs> yeah. Lots and lots of money. Well, I mean, they could always just put someone else in there. I mean, they could put Don Cheadle, move him up as the main Iron Man character to follow the comic no, books. No, I don't know. No? No. Trying to think who would play make a good Tony Stark. I was thinking Ryan Reynolds would make a good one. Ryan Reynolds. He played Van Wilder. Him? Yeah. He was also Green Lantern too, but Oh, well that he's he's kinda fine. like that he's that sarcastic type of guy that I could just see him if you just toned him down just a little bit with the sarcasm, he could probably fit the character. Uh, probably. You put the goatee on him, I think it might fit. Yeah, just drop a little bit of the sarcasm because he's way sarcastic. So, well, Tony Stark was kind of too. No, but like Tony Stark is was funny, sarcastic. Ryan Reynolds like he'll get on your nerves with his voice when he gets sarcastic. Oh well, that's yeah. what I mean. Okay, I got you. Yeah, and I was also reading this weekend about the uh, the leak for the Justice League movie that came out. Oh boy, well, now what? <laughs> well, the rumor is that they're going to be having. Not Bruce Wayne as Batman in the movie. Okay. Yeah, they're going to have the other guy that took over in the comic books. It, it's when, Bat, when Bruce Wayne 
I'm doing the little quotes in the air. Died. Oh. And you remember okay. at the end of the third movie how uh, what's his name was Tim was going into the become the new Batman. Supposedly mm-hmm. there rumor is he will play it or he will play Nightwing. So they're not sure which way yet. Oh boy. So well, knows? we always got the. I, I am actually looking forward to uh, Man of Steel. Yeah, me too. I've seen those uh, those clips of that. I just Russell Crowe as Jor El is going to be great. I hope so. I think so too. And uh, what's his name's going to be uh, Papa um, Kent? Uh, what the heck's uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Mr. Dances with Wolves. Kevin Costner. Oh, good. Kevin Costner. I like that. So I think it'll be a real good uh, a real good movie to, to see. I mean, I've liked the, yeah, that is going to be great. And versus the debacle when the Superman returns. Oh, my gosh. Have <laughs> you noticed that with all the previews that they've shown, whether the movie theater or the sneak trailers, not one of them had the Superman music in it. Yeah, I'm wondering. It's all if, different music. Yeah, I wonder if they're getting away from that whole cheesy, like you know, '80s music thing. That you know, people yeah, loved but I, it. But... I like the original Superman. Oh yeah, thing. but I wonder if they're just trying to move away from that to try to separate the movies. Maybe. I just hope that in the new film they just kind of a wink and nod to the old film, like Superman Two. They gotta throw in the line, "Kneel before me, son of Jarrell." <laughs> Kneel before Zod. No. No? I'm sure they'll throw something in there. They always throw it in all the movies. Like when they did that cheesy line in Batman and Robin when he said, Holy rusted metal, Batman. Yeah. yeah. And everyone laughed for about two seconds and they went, Oh, that's lame. <laughs> yeah. It was like, Yeah, it was it was forced laughter. It was like, Yeah. <laughs> so we got that. All right, well. We don't have any stars this week, right? Yeah, no new stars, but just to remind everybody, you can um, give us uh, reviews on iTunes. Just head to the iTunes store, type in Roll for Initiative, follow the links to us, and you can not only give us a review, but all the episodes previously are on iTunes, free to download. So give us a review. And we will be happy to read it on the show. And definitely spread the word around, because I know some people were having some issues with iTunes since we changed our feed, that it's not updating. And uh, nothing we could do about that other than say, unsubscribe and resubscribe. Yeah, well, we're doing our best to try acquire Apple as part of us, yeah. but we just don't have the money. Yeah, so. <laughs> we just don't. Or you yeah. can just always check our website, RFI, uh, com, and we have each show on there by volume on the right-hand side. This is Volume 1 Issues, Volume 2, and Current Issues, which you can stream and download each show, as well as click directly for our, our RSS feed for the uh, feed burner links. Has our, yeah. uh, there's a new to AD&D first edition section where you can click and listen to the old shows and... Uh, so, speaking of uh, things on the website, Todd Hughes had come up with an article. I'm not sure if we mentioned it last show, but it was Home Sweet Home Rules for his plus two to save. Uh, take a look at it. It talks about some house rules and uh, what to do in certain situations. He has some great charts on here. Yep. So, um, yeah, the plus two, the save articles are coming back in again. So, mm-hmm. And 
I guess I could make the announcement. There will be <gasps> another Blackstone's Vault. Yeah, but you've been threatening that for a while. No, I have it. I know what I'm going to review. You have good authority from uh, Blackstone that will be another yes. one, Yes. Huh? Yes, I do. Okay. And I'm hoping that within the next week there will be a review from him. So just trying to work those in. And I I would say probably you're going to see about you know one or two a month. We'll throw in there. And uh, now that he's got some material and he's down, he's mm-hmm. he's done uh, conquering the lands around his domain. <laughs> so he's going to take some more time off and do some reviews for all you folks. Definitely. And uh, we're, oh yeah, put on our Facebook, we had uh, someone drop a link in for the, uh, I forget the person's name and I apologize, he's going to be doing the movie for the Jack Trick, Chick, sorry, track from the 84 Dark Dungeons, the movie it's called. Yes, Dark Dungeons, the movie, folks. You can find that on Kickstarter, just look it up, uh, Google it, it'll come right up. And uh, basically the gentleman had, uh, I guess, won some type of lottery. Nothing big, he says, about a thousand bucks, but he's putting a thousand bucks towards making this movie. He uh, got permission from Jack Chick himself to make this movie, so uh, he's got uh, his stretch goal. The first stretch goal was 12000 to make the movie. He's up to about fifteen as we speak right now. He has a couple more stretch goals, so please definitely go and support it. And you might have some say in it, too, as well, depending on how much you donate. Yeah, I guess, like, when he gets up to 18000 they'll throw in the Cthulhu Mythos and Necronomicon. Necronomicon. So, pretty sure this is going to be kind of a dark humor, tongue-in-cheek kind of approach to the thing. He said um, cheech. Yeah, <laughs> yeah tongue-in-cheek. Hey, man. <laughs> Where's uh, Tom? Oh, never mind. Who? Where's <laughs> Dave? Dave, man. Yeah, it's not man. Here. Uh, similar but different. <laughs> similar but different. Absolutely. All right, let's head over into some sage advice. Okay. Sage advice. So, sage advice this week uh, are by staff at gmail.com. You can uh, send us a voicemail 570 865 4210. The hotline. That's right. Where we have fighters, uh, level three standing by. Oh, level three fighters! Hey, cool. Yeah, we we paid them extra gold this week. Sweet. Yes, and of course, there's one phone line always reserved for all the uh, orcs out there. Yes, we with, have people who speak orcish. Yes, with pig faces. Orcish with pig faces. Definitely. We do have a voicemail this week, Nick. Ah. I will give you two guesses who it's from. Uh, let me. Yes, DM Kojo. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, I win, I win. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You get another five experience points. Only five. Okay, I'll take them. Okay. <laughs> Keeping a streak alive, here comes DM Kojo. Hello, Initiative Rollers. This is DM Kojo, keeping my streak alive. Calling in about energy drain. I, uh, I have to confess, I don't know the rules as written on energy drain, except that when Certain undead touch them, they lose their level. Um, I've heard people say that they can gain the experience points back at double the rate. Um, I personally like to allow a save versus death um, to avoid the energy drain. I, I think that that gives the PCs a nice, at least, chance of avoiding it. Um, 
especially if it's a first level character that somehow runs into some energy draining thing and they don't run away like they should. Um, gives them a chance to at least live. And, um, you know, I just think it's a fair way of handling it. I know it's not by the book, but uh, it seems reasonable to me that the negative energy, um, say versus death, and then they can avoid it. Uh, you know, just because players work hard to get the levels, and it's just hard for me to take a level away that they've worked for, you know, many, many sessions to achieve simply because they got touched by a certain undead that I decided to throw in the game. So uh, that's my take on Energy Drain. Love to hear if you guys house rule it anyway and uh, and what you might do with it if you do some of the sides of the, the, by the book. So sorry it wasn't a nine-minute voicemail like you requested, but that, that's what I got for now. Keep up the good work. See you guys. All right. So, Nick, what's, uh, what's, your, what's your response to that? My response is, well, it's as written if you get hit uh, like a white. Yeah. Uh, the existence can drain energy levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with the white, though, um, each hit drains a a level. Now, there is no save for that. No, there is no save for that. So, I just go by uh, as it's written. I mean, some people, I guess, like, I, I don't know. You can, I guess, throw a save versus death in there if you want. Um, But I just go as it's written. I mean, I mean, you're not going to be throwing whites against, like, a first-level party. That's just too crazy to do. You just got to, I mean, some common sense there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, like he said, with double the amount of hit points back, I, that's kind of I've never heard of that. I heard that might be I, nerfing it because the DM feels bad, or yeah, I've I've never heard of the thing like, well, you can earn your levels back by double the rate. I've never heard that before. I mean, get I, that sounds like a house rule thing to me as well. As far as house rules, I, I've seen DMs nerf it as far as doing temporary statistic or, or stat drains instead of level drains. Yeah. Uh, but if basically the thing it comes down to this. If you don't if you don't feel right using it, don't use the monster just because it's there. Right, right. Just don't use it. Just don't use it. If you Yeah, not like I said, you don't you don't, you don't throw monsters like a white or or something else like that that could drain levels against like a first or second level party. I mean that's just that's overkill. And even if it, the party's fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth level, and you don't want to drain their energy, don't use the monster just because it's there. And don't be like, "Well, I like using every monster." Well, don't use it, dude. Yeah, don't use it. Or like we were just saying, you know, just do um, your energy lane, uh, drain different in your campaign. Just as long as you're consistent about it, you know, that's fine. Yeah, or I mean, if you want to do the energy drain, the level drain, say it happens for that battle, and they have to rest twenty four hours to get each level back. Yeah, that would be fair to do. I so mean, every, that sounds right yeah. to me. Every day they rest, they gain a level back. You could say it yeah. that way. But I've removed the special defenses off the, the white if you're going to do that. Um, you, I think you also said to me once that uh, that uh, some people, like, they'll use constitution, like, uh, they'll get hit, they'll lose a point of con. Yeah. Or something like that. So, yeah. you know, you could do that, too. I mean, that could simulate life levels or 
you know, energy levels. I mean, hold on. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Kojo, sorry. If you don't, if you feel that bad about being a DM and taking levels, then, dude, don't use it. Or just use something else. Yeah, I mean, like all, like we've always said in the show, you know, if you're going to do a different rule, do some house ruling, at least be consistent about it. You know, do the do the same thing the next time it happens. Exactly. Wash, rinse, repeat. <laughs> yeah, true. Okay. Or in so- this case, energy drain, repeat. Definitely. Next time. <laughs> oh, uh, so we have four emails also on top of the voicemail. Awesome. Yeah, first one comes from DM Steve. Steve. Steve O. At the copy machine. Anyway. Steve Arino. Yeah, no, not that Steve. Uh, hi, guys. I was wondering if there are any subdual rules for dragons like there is in basic D&D. If so, what are they? Wow, Thanks, DM what Steve. a great question. Well, there are rules like that, and, uh, and Nick and I were discussing before the show. It is in the monster manual right there for you to read. Yes. And uh, go ahead. Monster Manual page is 30 and 31. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a section on <clears throat> subduing the dragon. Uh, they give an example how subdual happens. You know, uh, just an example, and maybe in some combat, the value of the subdued dragon, the length of subdued. So um, there's some really good stuff in there. I mean, you can also. Like he said, like he said, he uh, he. There's rules for subduing and basic and expert. Mm-hmm. They're probably the same kind of rules, well, so you yeah. can port those right on over. Well, yeah, you basically you're just hitting the thing to submitting it, making it to submission. Like you keep whacking it. You're not right. really trying to kill it. You're whacking it to the point that it, it submits to your will. And then, of course, in any chance it possibly can, is going to try to get away. So, right. I mean, you could bring over the subdual rules from basic and expert. I mean. I don't see a problem with that, You're but uh, I th- I don't know if it's in the basic or expert rules, but uh, it does say uh, silver, gold, chromatic, and platinum dragons cannot be subdued. Oh, really? So you cannot subdue silver, gold. You cannot subdue Tiamat or Bahamut. Ah, oh. big surprise there. <laughs> I know they had rules for it in. The, what was it, Module B5, Far on the Hill? Yes. They have that little weird dragon that they have with, like, 20 hit points, even though it's not supposed to have 20 hit points. Mm-hmm. But the players don't know that, of course. And you're supposed to subdue that dragon and bring him over somebody for the quest. I remember reviewing that a long time ago. So so basically how it goes on the subduel... Oh, yes, go ahead. You say, upon announcement of attempt to strike... To subdue all hit points of damage scored by attacks are considered non-fatal. Right. The total number of hit points scored each melee round is stated as a ratio. Hit points scored are ratioed over a number of hit points the dragon has. And that ratio is converted into a percentage. Right. So if you did like 20 hit points of damage and the dragon has 100 hit points... And that ratio converts over to a percentage. If you roll that percentage, it's equal to or lower than that percentage, then the dragon is subdued. Subdued. Yes. Basically, you, 
in game terms, if you want to think about reality, you're using the flat of the blades. Yeah, flat of the blade or um, pulling punches and things like yeah, that. Yeah, you're pulling your punches because the idea is, you know, you want to basically capture the dragon and not only get its hoard, but also get the dragon for its value. Oh yeah. So. Anyway, thank you. It's DM. a matter of what. It's a matter of ratios. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, DM Steve. Email number two. Part two. Yeah. I've been listening to your show. Where are you guys getting the critical hit misses rules that you seem to be using? Back huh? before... What? I, I said, oh. Oh. Back before later editions when AD&D was the undisputed king of the RPGs, we used to ridicule game... Ridicule, we used to ridicule games like Rollmaster in large part because of the... In- Included rules for critical successes and failures. So I'm surprised to hear that each of the DMs on the show refer to such in their games. And, so far as I've heard, no one on the show has batted an eyelash at this. From that, I have to assume that these critical hit misses hits tables you're using coming from a Dragon Magazine article that I don't know of. Would you let me know which issue has these rules or where you're getting them from? DM Harold. Gosh, uh... DM Harold. Uh, I do remember uh, reading in the outstanding book, Playing at the World, that was recommended by, I think, uh, who who was it that recommended it to Tim us? Uh, Tim Cass. Tim Cass, yes. Mm-hmm. And when Tim recommended that to us, really near the very beginnings of the game, there was all, you know, everybody trying to do their own thing as far as modifying the game and critical hits. And fumbles were right near the very beginning. Yeah. So I I can recall from my youth when uh way back in the day that uh there were you know local gaming groups. In fact I think it was my very first convention I went to. There was a local gaming group. They set up a booth, just you know, they were passing out flyers and they had some other things. And this is the days, you know, before anybody had the internet or <laughs> or halfway decent computers unless you had a TRS-80 or a Commodore 64 maybe. Yeah. People were making up their own rules on certain things like, you know, crits and fumbles. Mm-hmm. And I do recall they made a um it was a little pamphlet. They I think they sold it for like a buck, something like that. You know, it was just 8 by a half by 11 that real uh cheapo looking, you know, computer looking font from back in the day from a from a the old type of printers mm-hmm. and it was still like a whole bunch of different types of critical hit and fumble tables and i think some other stuff in there too i remember buying it and this was like back in 1982 yeah 83 so as and i didn't say as a part of any ridicule i think it just depends on where you were and how it was how people you know just to how people played the game and where you were regionally in the United States, I guess. I don't know. I mean, what about you, Vince? Um, I learned the critical hits and misses from the great Joe DM. <gasps> the great Joe DM? Uh, yeah, his, as I stated in the past, his critical hit stuff and critical miss stuff, he, I don't know where he got them from, I don't know, but I've seen other DMs do other various critical hits and not. Uh, when I played at a bunch of conventions, I've played with people that played with Gary on his porch. 
Mm-hmm. So I think it was something that Gary had done all along as his own house rule. And it just kind of spread out as other people discovered it or just made up their own rules. And, oh, Gary does that? I do that, too. Cool. What's, what does Gary do? Well, it does seem to yeah. me. You know, one of those things. It, I, what did it become official in second edition was, maybe? Um, I think it came on later on in second edition, the the the, the players' options or some whatever book that was. I didn't get that one. Yeah. But uh, there was a... Uh, there was an add-on that you could do critical hits and fumbles. I know the uh, Hackmaster, when they did their book, they had definitely added the uh, critical hits and fumbles in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it pretty much was kind of a knockoff of Rollmaster, the critical hits and fumbles. Very detailed. Yeah, that big chart, yeah. Oh, yeah, I had the uh, someone I know made a, a custom Excel spreadsheet with macros running, so all you had to do was plug in your your percentile number and some other number and boom, there's your critical hit. So as far as like finding any critical hit tables, there, there was an issue of dragon. I don't remember off the top of my head. It was really early on though in dragon magazine that I was in there. There was uh, a a critical hits and fumble kind of article, but um, you could do a search on, on, on the web. Just type in AD&D critical hits and fumbles, and I'm sure something will pop up and, you know, see what you like. If it's to your, to your liking and want to introduce that to your game, you know, by all means do so. But I think one of the, the, the unwritten rules you got to have with critical hits and fumbles is it goes both ways. Monsters do them too. Hmm. So you got to be, I, I, I think that's, you know, even playing ground. It's not just the player characters that get the critical hits and fumbles. Monsters get them too. Yeah, of course. If, you know, you do it, monsters do it, you know, both. Yeah, I think a lot of, pe- of players forget this. Like, oh, wow, man, I could do two times damage and, and this could happen. Yeah, I know. But you know what? If you get smacked in the face by an ogre and he gets a natural 20, yeah, he could do the same thing to you, kiddo. So just don't, you know, hey, <laughs> all's fair in love and war, buddy. <laughs> but it did become an official adaptation to the game in third edition, but then they had that stupid uh, confirm stuff, which I couldn't stand. Roll 20 and you have to confirm a hit to make sure it was a critical hit. Oh, yeah, I've heard people doing that too. I'm like, that's kind of redundant. It's a natural 20. Yeah, they're like, oh, you got natural 20. It's like, yeah, it's double damage. No, you have to confirm that that was a confirm. What? Yeah, that was one of the dumb things I really couldn't stand. Yeah, that that I don't get. I have ruled that, that out when I played third. But. Okay, there you go. Anyway, thank you, DM Harold. Email number three. Hi, guys. I am new to the game, and I have a question. It seems that the numbers for a thief in the player's book are a bit low. Have you guys come up with a better system for rolling the things that a thief does? Roger T. No, I haven't. I just use what's there. Vince? Uh, no, I haven't. Basically, just use what's there. But it, like we've always said in the past, it's only a guideline. Just because right. it says that the thief has 35% doesn't mean he always has 35%. True. And, there's other, and don't forget, there's other modifiers for race, for dexterity. So... Um, got to factor those things in there too. But, but if say after the race and dexterity, and that's all modified in, the guy has whatever thirty-seven—I mean thirty-five or forty, whatever. There's always the uh, environmental factors of some of the things as well. 
So if they're a crowded place, maybe the DM can give an extra 20% because there's a lot of people and it's easy to pick pockets in there. So it all depends. It's only a guideline. Those numbers are a guideline for the DM. They're not the end-all, infinite, right. you know, too bad, that's the number. You know what I'm saying? Yep. You feel me, player? I'm feeling you, man. <laughs> I feel your pain. Uh Oh, yeah, and uh, Nick just found, uh, you, you found a critical hit and fumble table at Dragon's Foot, huh? Yes, I did, and awesome. boom, there it is. That's right. the one I use. There, right? So, we'll have to give yeah. it to Matt, and he'll put that in the show notes. But there is one available at dragonsfoot.org. Yep, you can find it through their links to first edition AD&D resources. Mm-hmm. And I think it's under articles. But uh, we'll put that in our show notes, and you can take a look at that. See, that's to your liking. I use that one. It's pretty, pretty simple. It's actually a good. It's a. I think if I'm if I got this right, that this one. Uh-huh. It actually has um, based upon. Right. There it is. It's based off the original. Uh, Good Hits and Bad Misses article in Dragon number 39. There we go. Dragon number so 39. Is, yeah, so you can use that one or, or this one here that was at Dragon's Foot. So awesome. take a look. Groovy. Uh, I'm sure if you do a quick search on the web, as like Nick said, on uh, Google or Bing It On, uh, you'll find... <laughs> yeah, there you go. You'll find a chart you're, to your liking. Doesn't They're mostly they're mostly edition neutral anyway. I mean, you, how could you... Make a critical hit chart, uh, you know, an edition based. So, I don't, I, don't know. I don't think you really can. But anyway, I could yeah. be wrong. Thank you, Roger T. Email number four. I love the show, and I was wondering if I used a limited wish or a wish spell to make myself into a storm giant. Would my ability scores increase when with my size, along with my damage and hit points? Would those increase as well, Alex? Well. Mm-hmm. After reading, Damn it. yeah. After looking at this, <laughs> you—if you used a limited wish spell—you're only going to get the ability increases for a limited time. Since it's only a limited wish, right? It's only the duration of the spell. Now, if it's a regular wish, which is permanent, as long as you word it right correctly, uh, yeah, your ability scores—if you wish to be a storm giant, you would be a storm giant. What's listed there—that would be your abilities. As far, mm-hmm. as far as height, weight, uh, damage, hit points, that's what you are, a storm giant. Now, I know, Nick, you brought up also on the side, of, but if you use an enlarged spell, that's something a little bit different. Yeah, enlarged spell would be different because enlarged doesn't make you into that type of giant. You only become the size of that creature. Say, using a large spell, you get to be, I don't know, Say you get to be about nine feet tall, right. so you're about the size of an ogre. You would get the strength and hit bonus. Uh, you get the to hit and damage bonus probably as an ogre. Now, if you get a little bit bigger, you would probably base that upon the ranges of different giants that are out there. Um, there might be some little. There's some overlap because we did look in like the cloud and the uh, not cloud but the fire giant and. Stone giant are both same size, twelve feet tall. So I was like, which one do you have for to hit damage, uh, to hit and damage from? 
know, do you use the stone giant stats or do you use the fire giant stats? Don't know. I think that'd be up to the DM to decide. Yeah, I would just basically decide which one you want to use between those. But you wouldn't get the hit points, and you'd only get the size bonus as along with the damage bonus because you'd be that size. But you wouldn't gain any other abilities uh, being that taller than that. Well, you might get some minuses on your dexterity because you're kind of really slow at this point. But right, and also keep in mind that the larger you get, you're going to be hit as a large size creature now. Exactly. So. I mean, it's a good, it's a darn, uh, enlarge is a darn good spell uh, because I, I know in my campaign when they went through against the Giants, mm-hmm. what they do, they beefed up a lot of enlarge spells so they could be pretty much the same size as the Giants. Oh, cool. So they, they could sneak in a little bit, sneak around a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's a good way of, of getting into that adventure um, without uh, causing too much alarm if they're doing well but yeah the wish thing <coughs> excuse me Bless you have you. to go with vince there yeah all right so that's the emails for today and you can always email us at rfi staff at gmail.com or you can hit us up on facebook at uh facebook.com slash rfi podcast uh, twitter feed rfi podcast or a five seven oh eight six five forty two ten in our forums at osr gaming dot org dot org where we're uh i'm getting to be better about being on there yeah, <laughs> so yeah you're up i like did post 12 posts right well a recent post i just did this past week i now that i bring it up i did a there was a really good write-up uh on the you know the no the new D downloads yeah, think that's been going on the P. If it, not everybody is aware of it, I'm sure they are out there right now. Is all the old classic D and D adventures and a lot of the rule books and everything are available for PDF. And one of the the cool things about the PDFs is they have really cool write ups about like the especially the adventures. Like, you know, how did this adventure get made? You know, what's it about? You know, some of the 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 backstory on the adventure. And there was a real good one on uh, the Forgotten Temple of Tharzadun. Mm-hmm. And I uh, posted a link to that, to D&D Classics, about how the Forgotten Temple of Tharzadun module is supposed to have been linked up to some other adventures. It was supposed to have been linked up to uh, actually Temple of Elemental Evil, too. So I thought it was, yeah, there's supposed to have been a link between all those originally, between that, uh, Lost Caverns of Zoicanth, and Temple of Elemental Evil. So, yeah, take a look at osrgaming.org. We're on there. Definitely. And we'll head into some table manners. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world. I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. So table manners this week, we're going to talk a little bit today about, uh, we're going to pull out and dust off Dungeon Magazine number 10. And uh, we're going to review... Hold on, hold on a second. Let me get out. There we go. Get the dust off that thing. Yeah, it's kind of dusty. Um, been a while. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to review something that a lot of people talk about. Monsters. Now, you think, well, why don't you just use your creature feature theory? No, no, no. We're going to talk about running adventures with monsters. 
for the PCs. You, yeah, you being the monster. Yeah. So what we got here is in Dungeon Magazine number 10, there was actually a submitted uh, adventure by, um, what was his name? Vince. Oh, no, not me. No, not me. Vince. Well, Vince Garcia. Vince Garcia. And it's called Monster Quest, which is kind of awesome if you look at it. Because you get to play the uh, these different type of monsters, and you have to like be sneaky about it. It's not this straightforward, mm-hmm. but you can be straightforward. But it's a really interesting quest playing different monsters. It was an ogre, I believe, um, a goblin, a goblin, <laughs> the weak little goblin picking his yeah. nose picture there. There's a were rat, yeah, um, an orc uh, sh- a witch doctor, yes, and a pixie fairy. That's kind of like. Hiding, <laughs> but hanging out with the group. <laughs> yeah, so they said she she's kind of like following the group around. Yeah, she's following around, like I guess either hiding or invisibly following them around. Yeah, so you have Bert the ogre, and they have stats for him. Is there Bert? Bert, yeah. Uh, they have the orc witch doctor, and then the were rat, and then Glitch the goblin. Glitch the goblin. Poor Glitch. Poor Glitch. Yeah, I like the picture of him like picking his nose. Yeah, and, looks- and yeah. By the way, the the glitch, the goblin who's picking his nose, he's the cook of the orc tribe. Ew. <laughs> but uh, he looks like a monkey, doesn't he? Yeah, that's weird. They all look like monkeys. They look very simian, yeah, except for weird. the rare rat, of course. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a were rat. <laughs> the witch doctor looks like he stuck his finger in a socket or something. Yeah. He know. just looks he looks really bad. <laughs> but those are your choices, and it does say if you have more than that for players, that the rest of them just become regular orcs. Yeah. And to uh, refer to the monster manual for that. But uh, these are an interesting combination because uh, the hit dice are... What are we looking at here? Okay, so the goblin is a 1 minus 1. We have that. He's the weakest one of the group, so I don't know if anyone really wants to play him. Uh, we have a hit dice for the were-rat of 3 plus 1. Hit dice for the Orc Witch Doctor of a 2. And the Ogre is a 4 plus 1 hit dice. So it's a little bit mismatched as far as uh, what the levels are. But I think it kind of works out the way it is. They're pretty... They're, they're not weak. So, unless you play the Goblin, of course, and he's pretty much a wimp. And the adventure pretty much wants you to kill that character anyway if you read it. Right. <laughs> In fact, I think at one point, concluding the adventure, it says that if he comes back, the... Uh, the head of the orc tribe punishes you for bringing him back. I know. I mean, that's so mean. I'm yeah. like, but he did a great job. No, I wanted him dead. And if, <laughs> and if he does die, he rewards you by leaving you alone yeah, for a week. For a week. Yeah, and he doesn't torture he you won't for pester, He won't torture or pester you for one week. <laughs> so basically, this adventure starts off with uh, he tasks you to find this, uh, what the heck was it, a horn. Yeah, the uh, the orc... Shaw, or not the the orc tribe leader. Yeah. He lost his magical drinking horn. He went into basically an old abandoned, I guess, witch temple that was originally dedicated to the goddess Bridget. And when he went into this uh, temple, he saw something that well, he didn't say scared him so much he dropped his drinking horn. <laughs> he's been he's been using every excuse since then not to go back. Yeah. <laughs> so so he, he he gathers up this little band of uh, wishy-washy group people there, hands you the map to where the temple's located and says, don't come back until you bring it back. 
So then you you leave out on your adventure and you have this long, convoluted, really dopey thing you have to read to the player characters. Mm-hmm. That says, oh, oops, you see this group of humans coming your way, so you decide to hide in the bushes because you're scared. And then you realize, oops, you dropped the map. <laughs> because, yes. Because the goblin hit into you and knocked it out of your pouch. I was like, what? But I guess it has to do with the story. So they pick it up and they realize that it's a map written in Orcish and it's the land. So they're like, oh, we have to bring it back to our fort. And save it for Roger the Moor Ranger. Yes, I mm. love that Roger the Moor. Yeah, what what a mm. ki- what a kiss to the butt on that one was. <laughs> uh, so when he comes back in a week and he can decipher. So I mean, out of so you got to go to this fort, this fort bravery. But, but out of fifty people at that fort, only Roger the Moor knows how to read this map. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, nobody so, else. Yeah. So, nobody else. So you have to basically go, you could follow them back to their fort, and then you could figure a way to get into the fort without yeah. being spotted. Through the sewers. Through the sewers, which is kind of interesting. I did find one sewer thing that kind of threw me for a loop. Which one was that? Tunnel D, with the giant centipedes. Mm-hmm. There's like, okay, so there's like, was it, five different tunnels that you can go down, uh-huh. okay? Yep. And one of them's going to actually lead down to where you need to secretly get into the fort, hopefully. Now, Tunnel D, there's these giant centipedes. Now, in, maybe I read it wrong, but I kept I read it like three times. I'm like, okay, that's what it says. Okay. And giant centipedes, you know, you get if you get hit by them, you don't get any bite damage, but you have to save versus their venom. Yes. Right? Now, it does say healing spells are ineffectual against the damage caused by the centipede's venom. Right. Next sentence. Only a neutralized poison spell can remove the damage of a PC. Oh. Right. Wait a bit. Healing spells are... But isn't neutralized poison kind of like a healing spell? Yeah. (laughs) That kind of threw me for a loop there. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, healing spell. Maybe they just mean like cure light wounds or something like that won't fix it, but you have to have a neutralized poison. Maybe they should have worded it as only a neutralized poison can stop the deterioration of the damage of the poison. Right. That maybe would have fitted better, or maybe the neutralized poison will stop the poison from causing more Come damage. Come on, editors, TSR, what were you thinking? I don't know. Roger the Moore was busy that day. Roger the Moore was busy, yes. And they also have one of the tunnels where you're supposed to flesh it out on your own, apparently. Yes. Which is C, I believe. I'm looking here now. Yeah, C is like, eh, do whatever you want there. Yeah, <laughs> this is purposely left for the DM to flesh out if he desires. Otherwise, the PCs will realize they're going the wrong way. <clears throat> okay. You All keep right, traveling then. and traveling and you just go nowhere. Guess it's the wrong way, on guys. On the road to nowhere. Come on. But uh, Tunnel A is the right path. Yes, Tunnel A. And has a nice carrying crawler in there. Yay. Oh, God, yes. Which but the carrying crawler is very happy. <laughs> yeah. Because he gets fed, he gets fed. Because there he is gets some. To eat poo. I don't. I don't. I, I kind of get it, but I don't get it. So there is this ladder there that leads up to a barrel. That's a fake barrel, which is kind of a hatch in the barrel. Mm-hmm. And I guess the leader of the fort goes there and drops food down there, and the carrying crawler eats his food, and he figures 
Oh, that carrier crawler will be enough if anybody tries to break in. <laughs> right. Yeah, he, he figures that's good enough. No one will figure this out. Come on. Oh, Roger the Moor wasn't that very bright, was he? No, Roger the Moor is away right now in his retreat up in the forest, so. Ah, uh, yes. Remember, he comes like once a week to check in or whatever he does. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> so, once you defeat the carrion crawler, you're supposed to make your way up this ladder and uh, force your way into the fort. Or or at least try to sneak your way around. Yeah. That's why I kind of get you got to find, I guess, the ranger's... Uh, no, you got to find his quarters. The commander's quarters. Yes. Which is where he keeps the uh, the map. Yeah. So there's a bunch of things like barracks, and then there's a kitchen, and there's a smokehouse, and uh, let's see here. The commander's quarters, the barracks. The commander's quarters, when you get in there, <laughs> I love the desk if you open it up without looking around first. It has like a big magic mouth that comes out. It says, intruder alert! Yes. Intruder alert! I love that. Intruder alert. Intruder alert. Yeah, I'm just imagining like a robot. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. 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 But you have to do this all without drawing any attention to yourself. Right. Not the fat, simple fact you got like a nine and a half foot ogre in your group. Eh, no problem. But if you time it right and you do it at night... You should be able to do it because most of the soldiers are in the, what is it the gambling room? Yeah, there's a uh, there's like a a recreation room yes. where they a lot of them hang out at night. That's where most of them stay. Uh, so that's where you want to go. And the building where the scroll is kept is a two story building. So you could manage to do it before he gets back. And if you do it right without rummaging and destroying stuff, you might be able to get away with it for a few days without them noticing apparently this thing is written. So, in a way, like this first part with the with the fort, you would think most players would think when they get these creatures the play, they're like, oh yeah, man, now we could be the monsters like do some payback. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, not so fast. Oh, no, because you don't want to fight these people in the fort. There's 50 people in this fort. Right. You got to be stealthy about it. I mean, you might get a little scuffle here and there if you're lucky to, to kind of like, you know, maybe somewhere in the shadows or behind closed doors. But there's plenty of uh, hack and slash in here later on. Yeah. So after you... Let's say you successfully managed to cover your tracks, lead, and go back the way you came, cover it up, make it look like nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. The thing tells you that you have a couple days head start to running away. And if you decide, screw the map, <laughs> you could wander aimlessly around the forest trying to find the temple. You could do that, yes. <laughs> Which is and not recommended. Not recommended, but can be done. Yeah. Uh, there's several things along the trails. Uh, there's there's the, the chance encounter meeting Roger the Moor, who is a seventh level ranger. Uh, I hope you don't run into him. Well, hopefully the ogre gets the first swing. Hopefully. Now there are some uh, encounters along the trail. Uh, at least one I know in particular. When you go down, there's Trail B, yeah. where you encounter some wolves. Now, since the goblin's in the party, apparently the goblin, the there's a wolf cub in the cave. The wolf cub will respond well to the goblin, and you could probably take the uh, cub as pet. Yeah. 
if the if the goblin is picking his nose or whatever. Right, or being hostile and throwing rocks and sticks at it, but who knows? <laughs> so yeah, you take that path, you run into that, so you gotta go back on the trail, and then if you find trail C, which I find interesting, just kinda winds around to the, the temple. That's it, just winds around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you can go find the giant bumblebee. The gi- yeah, a giant bumblebee. I thought that was cute. <laughs> Which is six hit dice, Bumblebee. That's pretty big. That's like a, a blam. I'm a big Bumblebee. I know. It's like the size of a small child. <laughs> that's huge. Six and, hit dice. Actually, that's bigger than the ogre, technically. Yeah. Technically has... Uh, the 30, size of a Cadillac. 30 hit points, AC5. Okay, yeah. That's a Cadillac-sized Bumblebee. And you have to worry about being <laughs> stung for poison. Hmm. Oh. Yeah, one d six plus poison sting. Uh, I guess save or die. No, I think it's a poison. Yeah, but the poison save is. Yeah, I guess is it save or die? It doesn't say. Hmm. It just says plus poison, so I'm assuming that it's one to six push poison damage each round. Okay. I don't know what the poison damage is. Uh, you a, could probably pull something out of the DMG. I don't see. Looking at the monster manual here in front of me. I don't I, know if Bumblebee was in there. I think it's a monster manual, too. Is it? Oh, okay. I, I do see so. beetles, but I don't see a bee or anything. We just pop open monster manual, too, while we're here. I'm pretty sure it's in monster manual, too. I, I recall seeing that in there. I'm looking through the list right now. I don't see. No. Bumblebee, Bumblebee, Bumblebee. And nothing. No. I don't know where Bumblebee comes from. Huh. Hmm. Maybe it's, it was just for this. Maybe it was. I see giant... Oh, there we go. Giant bee. Bumblebee. Rare. There it is. Uh, hit dice is a 6 plus 4. Trigger. Okay. 1d6 plus poison. Um, What's okay. the poison damage save, on Okay. That? For a queen, bumblebee's poison is negative 2 for save. Successful save versus poison will inflict uh, additional 2d8 points of damage. Fairy will cause an additional 5 to 20 plus 1. What? Wow! No, wait, that, that's going to be wrong. We just make that a little bit bigger. If you fail the save, you take 5 to 20 points of damage from this poison? Ouch! Poison is normal for worker bees. So say. 1 to 8 points of damage per sting. Oh, okay. okay. So it's the so damage is 1 to 6 for the stinger, and the poison's 1 to 8? Yeah. It looks like. That's still pretty nasty. It is. Picture the poor little goblin getting stung by that bee. Splat. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty pretty nasty. Okay, so it's a monster manual tool. There we go. whoop de doo Anyway, so we're going to the temple now. Oh, one more trail. There's trail... Which is the cave bear? There's a bear. Hey, boo boo. Yeah, there's no, there's no, it's no boo boo. Just Yogi. Yogi. Yeah, and then you have Trail F, which is part of Trail D, and then you go straight to the uh, the temple. Wait a minute, on Trail E, did you see what was in the old inside the bear's cave? The treasure, the remains of the hobgoblin. Yeah, there's a potion of orc control. Mm. 
Can you imagine that poor little goblin getting a hold of that and controlling the orc leader of the of the tribe? Heck yeah. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> you must floss my toes. <laughs> yes, master. Tell everybody they love me. Sure. Love him. So we <laughs> love him, yeah. So we have six sections to the temple's main area, level one, before going on to level two. We have the stairway, which pretty much nothing happens there. The platform, the well, I should say the west platform, or number two, and then there's number three, east platform. Um, there's nothing really there as well. There's when the you get ele- to five. Yeah, when you get to five is when they, they get the elevated throne, which you can find. Uh, there's nothing in there, actually. That It's actually empty. It did hold a scepter at one point, but it's empty. Why they bother telling you that? I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's like, why is that in there? That's useless. <laughs> I was just rereading it now, and I was like, oh, a scepter. I'm like, wait, it says is empty. Why tell me? Hmm. I guess if you want to add it in later on. And then we get to the high altar. <sighs> yes. Where the Sturges are waiting for you in the hiding. <laughs> yeah, great. Sturges. Love, blood drain. Yum, yum, yum. Yeah. <laughs> but they have no treasure, so too bad. And and then you get to the columns towards the uh, back end, mm-hmm. where we have uh, how do you pronounce that? Uh, Jakuli. I thought so. Jakuli. I've never yeah. used that monster actually. Out of the Fiend Folio. Yeah. Uh, there's an actual Fiend Folio monster in this adventure, everybody. Yay. So there's a. I also a little side note. Mm-hmm. There is another adventure in this magazine. They use. Two Fiendfolio monsters, Ooh. and one of them was a protein polymorph. Cool. I have never seen that first adventure. Ever seen like there's a protein polymorph? Well, what? Anyway, oh, sorry, I just I had to throw that in there. <laughs> it's just anytime you see an adventure where there's a Fiendfolio monster in there, it's like it's like so glaring. Wow. <laughs> So uh, the stairways actually are at the beginning of the temple. You just kind of, when you get there, you don't really notice it unless you really look around because you're just like enthralled with the temple. But they are there leading down, which is dug into the side of the hill. So Where these stairs go, they go down. Down, down. And then you go downstairs. Yay! Downstairs. Then there's a kitchen there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I notice every time when there's like food around, they have to mention the ogre can smell it. Yes. <laughs> and there's a bunch of rooms down here, but the most important room to point out is number nine. Hold on a second. What? Back up. The where the Jakuli are. Yeah. Another magic item. Oh yeah, the arrow of orc slaying. Uh, yeah, there's an arrow of ogre slaying. Oh, I just ogre, find it hilarious that there's all these magic items in there that could be used against party members and such. Yeah, you could betray everybody. <laughs> So the little goblin gets a hold of all these things. He can, like, rule the whole entire I adventure. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. But actually, it says uh, with the uh, Jakuli before, it says if, if the glitch the goblin goes up, they ignore him. Yeah, because <laughs> he's too small. They don't care about him. They're like, meh. So apparently, glitch the goblin is the linchpin of the whole campaign here. Yeah. <laughs> you look at it and go, oh, he's weak. He's stupid. But meanwhile, this little dude is going to be the one walking out with everything if you play it right. Yeah. So anyway, we go down the stairs. Yay. Okay, yay again. Downstairs, sorry. You know, I was kind of confused. When you go down the stairs, where exactly does it lead to? 
Not sh- yeah, I was looking at the map too. I'm like, what? It goes downstairs. Okay, the steps go down, and now we have a completely new map. Yes. Now is it the is it the steps right near 15 and 16, or is that? I think so. All right, because I was confused. I was looking at. It, I'm like, where do they start? Yeah, there's those those there's those really big white steps. Then there's the ones uh, on the first level where at starting at one. I'm assuming it's well. I don't know. Yeah, because they're not in the same spot as these steps are. Right. It's a little. Hmm. I'm going to assume the way the temple's built that it's going to be those steps. Yeah, I think so too. So you kind of walk down the steps and you lead. You can either come out on the side of 15 left or, the, or I should say west or east. Yeah, west or east of 15 there. Kind of in these long hallways with some big old 10-foot-wide square columns. Yep, and then you have a bunch of things. But the most important room down here yes, is room 9 with the biting skulls. The conjuration <laughs> room. Those skulls are cool. Jumping and biting skulls. <laughs> they're only a one-hit dice creature, but they're awesome. Yeah. Because they hop around, and they can't be turned, but they can bite the crap out of you for one day. And, and their jaws reveal silver dental work, so they can hit, like, were-creatures and such. Yep. So the DM was really thorough with this. I want those. I love those biting skulls. Those are great. But, dun-dun-dun, in this room is the horn. Yes, it is, laying there where the X is on the map. Ba-doop. Which is this is probably what scared the crap out of him to drop it in the first it place. It scared the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah. Bunch of biting skulls jumping at me. Yeah, I would run like a little girl and scream. And the rest of these rooms, there's pretty much the living quarters, and there's nothing really big in there. There's the uh, the jelly. The yeah, there's spider. an ochre jelly. Large spider. Large spider, yes. Uh, there's really nothing else in those rooms. Oh, wait. Second fiend folio monster. Sheet Phantom. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's two Feed Folio monsters in the same adventure yet again. That's right. The, yeah, the canopy is really a Sheet Phantom in uh, room 12, which, which is the High Priestess. Yeah, the High chamber. Priestess's chambers. And she has a bath chamber. Ooh. <laughs> well, she can get naked and take a bath. Yeah, but she's not around anymore, so who cares? Yeah, she's dead. Yeah. Uh, there. She's dead. She's dead, Jim. And then we have, uh, let's see, the Handmaiden's Quarters where the doors are wizard locked. I don't know. Yeah, so it's like, okay, fine. (laughs) Yay. And then you have the throne room. Right. Which has the giant fire bat. Four. Yeah, sorry, I I said the S afterwards. S. You can make one big one. That'd be a deadly bat, though. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be like eight hit dice. Ouch. I love the associate princess priestess's chamber. Yeah, associate, associate priestess. I've, I've never heard of the title associate priestess. Yes, I'm the head priestess. This is my associate. Hello. It's like in 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 the film industry. This is my assistant director, but it's TV, so we're gonna call it associate director. Yes, assistant producer. I, I never. This is the guy that. that showed up a lot. Just did poked his finger at people. <laughs> then we have another handmaid's quarters, yay. But this ones aren't locked, so And there's no. lots of cool stuff inside. I'm sorry, the handmaid's quarters are fire trapped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Send the goblin in. <laughs> uh, 
12th level spell wise too. So not only is it fire trapped, it's a 12th level spell fire trap. Ow. Yeah. Can you say ow? Ow. And then we got the final handmaid's quarters where all the cool stuff is. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can use this adventure to use for the living, uh, the RPA uh, Raven's Bluff. Yes, the RPGA living uh, campaign that they had at the time. I've never used Raven's Bluff with you. Nope. Yeah. Never heard of it until then. I've heard of it before, I just never used it before. You know, I was part of a cool crowd. You know. I just like at the conclusion when you said when Glitch returns alive, you know, he <laughs> the the orc chieftain is not happy about it. But that's the thing about those two um magic items, the the arrow of ogre slaying, and then there's the potion of orc control. Yeah. There's the potential of glitch the goblin making out big time on this adventure if he if he's uh, stealthy enough. I like, and also Glitch gets the winning end here. If he's mad, if Glitch the Goblin returns alive, the rest of the group ends up in the kitchen as help under the command, fitting punishment. So they become uh, Glitch's uh, slaves in the kitchen. Yeah. (laughs) As a punishment. If Glitch has gone on to Goblin Heaven, the Orc Chieftain thinks up a new mission for the survivors. There just happens to be a high-level ranger who's been giving him some problems. Is a suggestion. Oh, Roger the Moor? Roger the Moor. So, what do you think of this adventure? You know, I thought it was really fun. I think it's a really fun adventure to have. Just something different. This would be a good one-shot, you know, just kind of a goof-off adventure. If you, if you really don't have anything planned, and everybody else just wants to try something different, this is this is a good way to go. Uh, yeah, definitely. Especially if it's like being, if I would have, I did read this, but I wasn't fully prepared for it. If I knew, I probably would have given it to the group of two players just to do it for the heck of it. I mean, this would be fun to run at a, uh, I think this would be fun to run at a con. Yeah, it's a good con. I mean, a great con one-off game, you mm-hmm. know? But, uh, yeah, hopefully. I yeah, It says you can use PC, regular PC characters for this. So I'm trying to figure out. How you would do that? Well, you just rewrite it and just instead of an orc chieftain, maybe a dwarf chieftain. Or gnoll, gnome chieftain. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. But, well, if you. And you wouldn't it, use the pregens. Yeah, you wouldn't use the pregens and use a regular party. So when they drop the map and the humans find it. Well, maybe you don't have them drop the map. Maybe the map got stolen. You can say they stole it from them, maybe? Yeah, and this is like a fort of brigands. Yeah. Alright. Guess that works. Yeah, that's a that's one way, just off the top of my head. Because I was thinking about that before the show. I'm like, well, how could you use this for PCs? Yeah. And I'm like, well, if you make them all PCs, the chance that one person might be a human, if they're not then it'd be kind of cool to do it because then you could say the humans found this map and mm-hmm. they're all too stupid and they can't speak dwarven or they can't speak elven. Mm-hmm. And now it kind of works. And then they say they took the map back so Roger the Moor can read it. 
because Roger the Moore's a ranger and he's probably elven and blah blah blah. Yeah, you might want to change some things, some of the random encounters around, like the Roger the Moore maybe not have him as a random encounter. Uh, I don't know, but as far as like the fort, maybe yeah, you, the the map got stolen by these brigands and um. You could still have the dwarf chieftain. Maybe he was in there. He dropped his magical drinking horn. True. So, I mean, hey, dwarfs get scared too. So, <laughs> I don't know. I still think as the adventure stands, that's where it is really fun because you're using monsters or considered monsters as player characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... As written, that's what you want to use it as. But if you don't want to, I guess you can modify it. Why not? So there you go. Uh, pick up Dungeon Magazine 10. There's some great adventures in there. But this one in particular is something interesting because a lot of people are like, oh, I want to play a monster. So here, here you go. Yeah. I I also like in this particular issue of Dungeon is the one about the towers. Oh, yeah. That looked good, that looked good too, yeah. That Secrets of the Towers adventure, mm-hmm. really cool, folks. I'm telling you, this is it's a great way to introduce some mystery into your game. Like Scooby-Doo mystery? More like, not Scooby-Doo mystery. <laughs> hey, Scoob! Hey! Right, <laughs> gang, we got a mystery to solve. Let's split up. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a, it's like one of the, it, it, the Secret of the Towers, great adventure. I'm going to introduce that in my campaign. It's really cool. Cool. So, Dragon or Dungeon Number Ten. There you go, folks. And we'll head into some DM rules next. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want, but are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. So DM rules this week. Dear Liam Neeson tell me he's going to find me and try to kill me. Um, I'm going to find you. I'm going to hunt you down. I'm going to kill you. And I will kill you. I love that bumper. Anyway. (laughs) It's not enough time. Let's go. Yes. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, allowing PCs to make monsters as their characters. Yes. Uh, I've done this in a couple campaigns, and uh, it doesn't really last longer than a couple adventures because then you kind of get bored after a while. Mm-hmm. Because rolling up monsters is a little bit different than rolling up PC, regular PCs because they're not as intelligent mostly and very limited on what you can become. Yeah, like who wants to play like a black pudding? <laughs> I don't I think mean, anybody's really? going to play a black pudding, Nick. Maybe a brain mole, but not a black pudding. <laughs> but I have always aspired to play a pl- brain mole psionicist. Oh, yes. Uh, I've done campaigns where I, I gave the PCs a choice of uh, a goblin or an ogre. Not mm-hmm. an ogre, I'm sorry, an orc, excuse me. Uh, maybe even a kobold. Sure. Uh, anything small that has like a one-hit dice is usually a, generally a good area to... Uh, allow them, and then I'll, what I would do as far as if they wanted to continue it and level up, I've done it as far as uh, taking the experience points for a cleric and just using that. Mm-hmm. 
And oh, sure. That's kind of like a fair in-between medium as far as the uh, experience points go. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as rolling up stats now, depending on the monster itself, so say maybe like a goblin or uh, an orc or a kobold, for example, I let them roll normal 3d6 for that. But as far as when it comes to intelligence and wisdom, those creatures aren't too big in that area. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have them roll a 2d6 for that. Sure. And obviously anything that that rolls below unable to communicate, I boost up to the ability to communicate. So, say you get like a two, which means you can't speak or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You boost it up. I think, what is it, a four, five? Ability to, yeah, grunt, to grunt. So you boost it up. But things like that, as far as charisma, you just kind of, you know, keep that below ten. <laughs> You're ugly. But everything else is pretty normal. You can do constitution normally, uh, dexterity normally, because you can be really quick. So That's how I've done that. As far as hit points, uh, since most hit dices are 1d8, unless otherwise stated, which I don't think I've seen too many in D&D say otherwise. Though I have seen stuff in basic say there were d10 or d6. So depending on which edition of uh, basic you're playing. Right. Uh, for example, Holmes is everything is a d6. Uh, for BX, there's, I think, one creature that's a D10. I can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember which one it is, though. So. Yeah, I think it might be one of the uh, types of dragons, but I'm not sure. I haven't looked at basic in a long time. But, uh, yeah. And as far as the hit dice is concerned on some of the larger monsters, like, I've had characters play Minotaurs. Mm-hmm. And for those, what I would do is I'd allow them to play it. Since there are six hit dice creature plus three. I'm going to allow them to play it as is with the hit points, but I'm going to say that they're going to be a severe penalty. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to gain enough experience to get the seventh level before they even get the second level. So that's kind of my balancing mechanism. They can have the six hit dice creature mm-hmm. with all the cool abilities and everything like that, but they're a sixth level character pretty much if you look at the hit dice. Right. Going up to hit dice. But for them to get the second level, they have to get enough experience as a fighter to get 7th level, to become 2nd level. Oh, okay. If you understand what I'm saying. I kind of stole that from the 3rd edition rules, but it kind of works out really good. Right. I I mean, before 3rd edition was out, I was doing this to begin with, but 3rd edition just kind of made me more organized with it. Mm -hmm. So that's how I've done that. What about you, Nick? Well, what I've done, and... I, for me, this was the easiest thing to do. I did play through second edition <gasps> AD&D. <gasps> now, I have to say, <gasps> one of the best um, supplements that I've come across when dealing with the whole, like, if you want to play certain types of, you know, humanoids, is the Splat Book, the complete book of humanoids. Mm-hmm. It's a really in my opinion, a really good reference. If anything, to get ideas, maybe if you want to modify to your campaign, and and they have, there's some really good ideas on how to introduce certain you know humanoids into a campaign setting of your of your of your making. And one of the things they kind of stressed, if you're going to do this, make the humanoids that are as player characters, they're the oddballs. They're the, you know, they're few and far between. They're the ones that are not the social norm of the tribe. Let's go with our example, uh, our our little 
our little goblin from the adventure. Okay. okay, okay. Our little goblin uh, cook. You know, maybe he's just a little bit different. Maybe he's not so warlike like the rest of the tribe. So maybe his alignment might be different. He might not be typically lawful evil like most goblins. Maybe he's lawful neutral. So that's one of the suggestions they have. They have, like, for our goblin here, they have, like, ability score adjustments. There's a minus one penalty to strength and charisma. Okay. They have ability score ranges, the minimum maximums, uh, class restrictions. Uh, goblins can only be fighters, clerics, uh, shaman, witch doctors, and thieves. Mm-hmm. And they have maximum levels that they can attain. Like for, you know, for a uh, a goblin fighter, he can reach a max of 10th level. Okay. So a uh, priest or, you know, a cleric, they can reach 9th level. A uh, thief, they can reach 12th. Okay. Um, natural armor class, their background, um, they can speak goblin, cobalt, orc, hob, goblin, and in common. Provided they have a good intelligence, though. Right? Provided they have a good intelligence. Now, it's interesting because I looked at their intelligence and wisdom ranges. They're as normal like any other race, 3 to 18. Really? Yeah. Oh, but, that, you but know, that's... if you want to modify that, maybe their max score can only be 15 or maybe even 14. Yeah, you can modify it. I mean, who's to say that they're not lower intelligence? That's cool. And they also give role-playing suggestions hmm. on, on playing a goblin that's kind of an outcast. Um, they also give like a, you know, what maybe special advantages you have, special disadvantages. Um, they have infravision as far as an advantage. Um, basically, their advantages are very similar to the dwarves as far as detecting new and unusual construction, underground areas. Um, disadvantages, though, Bright lights hurt goblin eyes. They got a minus one penalty when they are in sunshine. Um, they also have monstrous traits and superstitions. So if you're going to play one of these goblins, maybe you know you have what are called beastal habits, and that's in the book too. And they describe that also superstitions, eternal hatred and fear of gnomes and dwarves, <laughs> sensitive to unusual behavior of wargs and wolves. Fearful dreams and visions. So they have all that in there. So that's a pretty good guideline to go by. I, I'm, when I um, uh, did my uh, first edition game for uh, my uh, regular group, and we, I was going to introduce, you know, maybe having like humanoid creatures. I, I can use this and you know, and modify it a little to first edition, which is like really easy to do. Oh yeah, I would, I would, I would even add, uh, as far as classes, in my opinion, like if you're talking your your goblinoid races, uh, you know, goblins, hobgoblins, kobolds, orcs, you know, your your bugbears and what have you. I would even say that they could be barbarians, like a barbarian class. Oh, yeah, that, I would see that easily. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and if you have a Berserker class, I could see them, if you allow the Berserker class in your campaign, yeah, Berserkers too. And I think that would be up to the DM as far as level limits. Maybe they can reach, as far as Barbarian, I don't know, maybe ninth. Did they, I don't um, know. Did they have a Shaman class in 2nd edition or no? Um, 
I they have a shaman class that is in the book of humanoids. Okay, then that shaman, works. Shaman, witch doctor, they do have those. They're somehow they're they're different. I forget how different they are. I think the witch doctor is kind of like remember like in first edition, if you're a witch doctor, you have access to both cleric and magic user spells, or is it the shaman? I forget. I thought that was the shaman though. It might be the shaman that you could get both. Witch doctor might be just one particular spell type. I don't remember off the top of my head. I remember you were talking about minotaurs. Well, there's also write-ups on minotaurs in here, too. Oh, really? Okay. Like the minotaur, uh, his, he gets a, you get a plus two bonus to strength and con when rolling them up, minus two for, to wisdom and charisma. So they got their minimum and maximums in here. Like the strength is a minimum of 12, maximum of 20. Hmm. So... But the cool thing is I'm looking at the Minotaur is like uh, I do remember uh, we were playing years and years ago. We were going through a Temple of Elemental Evil, and I think almost everybody in the group, we were playing humanoids. And one person played a Minotaur, and I think she played a Ranger Minotaur, <laughs> yeah, which you could – a Minotaur can be a Ranger up the 8th level. They could be, ma- they could be uh, magic users up the 8th level. Thieves, witch doctors, fighters up to twelfth level. So there's all these other um, things about minotaurs in there. If you want to introduce them in your campaign, so I think it's a really good reference. You can modify it to first edition, like I said, real easy. That's I would highly recommend this book to anybody who wants to do it. But if you are going to do it, in my opinion. I think you want to limit it to your your goblinoid races and a few others like your maybe your minotaur, lizard men. They do have a write up on the half ogre and the ogre in here, but I have a real hard time of introducing races that have more than uh, you know a lot of innate magical abilities. So something like a vampire or something? Right. I wouldn't do that. Uh, I mean, they have write-ups in here for Ogre Magi, for Ogre yeah. Mage. You know, Ogre Mage, that's really powerful. Mind Flayer? Uh, not Mind Flayer. <laughs> what if I want to be, um, say, a brown mold? <laughs> then you're playing the wrong game. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he- they have in here all the different humanoid races. Aarakocra. Uh, Alagai, Beastmen, Bugbear, Advanced Bullywugs, Centaurs, which would be cool. Yeah. I always, I always never, I've always wondered why Centaurs were never a basic character race. I thought they would be really cool. Um, you know what might be a, a cool race and, and you'd have to modify it pretty big? A Naga. Ooh, Wow. Yeah, make them more it, like human-like. Oh, I shouldn't say human-like. Uh, uh, you know, two-legged-like. Uh, was it bipedio? 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 What? I can't pronounce bipedal. it. Bipedal. Bipedal. Thank you. Couldn't pronounce they it. They do have in here the Sorreal. The Sorreal from Forgotten Realms. Remember the dinosaur-like creatures? Oh yeah, from like Azur Bonds. Yeah. Yes, they do have write-ups on on the, on the Sorreal race. Um, you got kobolds. Both types of gnolls, the knoll and the flind. I played a flind in that one campaign I mentioned. I named him, what was his name? Uh, Errol. Errol Flind. <laughs> um, Another good race to start out, and I don't know if you can 
how you do it because you kind of need to be in water. Or Nixie. Uh, yeah, I think. Oh, they have pixies in here. Yeah, pixies I, I've seen, but a Nixie would be cool. Yeah. And a nymph might be actually kind of work. You can work. No, it's too hot. No, hit dice at three. That's not that bad. Yeah, you could work that in. But the cool thing is if you they have for each of the humanoid races in here, if you're going to use any of these, they do, I mean, they accumulate hit dice and everything just like in that class that they're playing. Yeah. So that makes it easy. Now, as far as like other races, like there's some of these I just look at. I think they'd just be too overpowering. Like the like the ogre mage, yeah. uh, pixie, uh, swan a swan may swan may has innate magical abilities. Those just kind of like I don't know. This is kind of makes them overpowering in a way. What if you want to be like an otter? An otter? Yes. Well, if you're playing hackmaster, they do have the otter men. Or you could be like an owl. An owl? Play an owl? Yeah, it's a four-hit dice creature, so... A giant owl? Okay. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I don't know of any other, uh, like... I mean, besides the later editions of of D&D where they had, um, like, you could play like almost anything. You could play like a gelatinous cube or a rust monster, but... (laughs) You know what would be kind of cool? A whole campaign, the whole party is Pixies. That would be fun. Yeah, just just a one shot. Like everybody's a pixie, and they had to go like you know take out something. Or yeah, maybe a vicious group of leprechauns stole their you know. They're always after their lucky charms. I don't know. <laughs> or a quasit. Quasit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> group of quasits and and, and imps. Or just be like you know a rat. <laughs> that would be so cool. Oh, that wouldn't be so much fun. No, I think more you're... intelligent creatures would be fun. Well, how about like <laughs> like a rot grub? <laughs> now that's ridiculous. Now I do recall in the in the dungeon master's guide there was that one page where it said like where it talks about Gary talks about um, monsters as player characters. And yeah, he says, I don't recommend it. <laughs> I don't recommend it. He says the words. Yeah. It was kind of like... No. Yeah. Just like, you could do it, but... No. He submitted no. it says no. Just but no. In case my, you want it's to like my it. daughter would say, Dad, just, just no. Just no. Yeah. <laughs> but if you want to do it, here's a way. Yeah, there's a way to do it, and... And the impression that you get, and I think it was page 22, like I said, on, on the DMG. Um, you want to be, as the DM, you want to be very, very careful on what they're going to play and how it could, you know, affect, you know, the whole overall campaign. And, and I think that also kind of gets into a certain degree when, you know, you have characters that, you know, might become were creatures. You know, they get affected with lycanthropy. You know, how do you handle that as a DM? I think that kind of fits into there. Oh, um, you know, be a great adventure is have a couple of you, like the two, three players. Yeah. Make them whites. Think and? about that. Make them whites and they have to survive. Oh, jeez. And, and they're trapped somewhere and they have to find their way out and they have to feed. You are the evil GM. Yes, I am. <laughs> 
Like that'd be kind of cool because think about that it. That would be cool. As a white, you you, know, you feed off of other people. So when you're trapped somewhere, you're hungry and you're getting hungrier. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like being a normal person. But, but these have to feed. Yeah. Otherwise, they have to just hibernate. So right. they're going to have to be roaming around trying to find their way out. And they have to feed on whatever they find. Yep. Like I was reading uh, another game the other day. Uh, what was it? Remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? And oh, yeah. Yeah, the, I got the rules yeah, the by, uh, by Palladium. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I was reading the original book, which was the hardcore one, which they kind of outlawed, and they had to make a second edition of the book. Yes, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah, anyway, but the point was, there was there's one adventure that, that one of the, uh, they, they mentioned in there is the group uh, is, maybe they want to become these monsters that would go out and flag people down on the highways and trap them and bring them to their 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 place and kind of eat them for a living. <laughs> and that's the adventure. I was like, damn. It's kind of like a monster version of Hotel California. I was like, damn. I, what, what, what? No wonder they outlawed this book. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I thought that was it was kind of interesting to see someone actually put that suggestion up. And not for, you know, a good... Because every suggestion you always get in the books is, well, they're a good player and they're going to fight on the good side and... Uh, Ugh. So, you know, it was kind and of you're like, boring. Yeah, but it was kind of interesting to see, like, you know, these they form a group and they're eating people as opposed to <laughs> saving people, so. Eating people. Yes. Soylent green. <laughs> it's made of human. It's made of people. Yeah. Oh, I was just looking on the D&D Classics dot com site oh. complete book of humanoids is not available yet huh it says but coming soon. i would i would expect it in the near future oh it says coming soon or something no but they've been pretty good updating little bits of here and there they got the complete book of dwarves but uh you know what they could be doing they could be waiting because of the uh, is a aren't the uh second edition reprints due out sometime this month or next month um, I thought it was sometime this summer. Yeah. Oh, was it? I uh, thought it was June. Player's Handbook and DMG, was like you know, sometime in the next few months. Oh yeah. Well, so maybe they're waiting to do. A I don't of, know. Maybe I don't know. But I, I, if you could still find anybody out there, I, I highly recommend it. If anything, it's a good reference, at least to draw inspiration from to your game. So oh, you know, yeah. take a look at it if you can. You could find that book and probably if you have a half price books. I've seen Oh yeah, tons. half price books, probably find on eBay for dirt cheap. Tons of second edition stuff always at half price books. So. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's just like people just don't care about it. They just sell these like especially players options. I always see those books. Oh my god, players options series was no. And I see a lot of the splat books too. Yeah, there was yeah, I recall. I mean but there was also that glut of splat books that happened in third edition too. After they had the open gaming license, everybody and their brother was producing a splat book. Yeah, whenever but, I go into half price books, I see either second edition or fourth edition. Yeah. So. Well, some people are getting a lot of they get their get a lot of mileage out of third edition stuff because it's compatible with Pathfinder. Yeah. So they've been buying those up. So. Anyway, uh, I believe that's going to put our little end of the show this week. Yeah, a little short and sweet show, but something that, you know, a little food for thought for everybody. I like the idea 
just kind of recap on the whole humanoid thing, you know, maybe have one or two characters in the group that's, you know, one's maybe a cobalt, the other one's a, a, a knoll, I don't know. But I, I think it's a really cool idea, you know. But they're like, they're the oddballs. Play them that way. Yeah. So Definitely, it'd be kind of an interesting story to see how all these monsters gather together to, uh, you know, work together. Because, you know, they're not commonly type of monsters you put together as friends. So. Well, right. Even that. Or you might have just a party of regular type of of demi-humans and humans hmm. and up along comes this uh this goblin and he wants to join your group you know it makes the very interesting role-playing challenge because now you have this goblin who wants to you know who is who knows who's he's different and he wants to live amongst the others that he feels that he might be able to interact with but what happens when he gets into like a city or to a village he's gonna it's gonna be a heck of a role-playing opportunity oh yeah you so, have to disguise his face a lot and right you know, he's gonna and... he's the outcast mm-hmm. it's like a goblin amongst us destroy him <laughs> he yeah he's probably he's gonna get pretty much the same looks and things as a half orc would probably get even worse right or or yeah or even worse even a half orc for most of the time or half of the time i don't <laughs> think i've ever played in a game that i've had a half orc in have you i have yeah, yeah. i've never oh, yeah. no no player has ever picked a half orc and they've always played cleric assassins <laughs> never straight fire it's always cleric assassin yeah. half orc you know well, what are you gonna do wow. so so that's gonna conclude the show of issue 114 for volume number three yeah I'll, oh before we close oh okay I would like to put this out to anybody who's actually done this in their campaign, added like humanoid races as as characters, and like if anybody has stories, you know, let us know. I oh, would yeah. like to hear them. Write it in, drop it on Facebook, call us in, give leave us a voicemail. Prove that Kojo is not the only one that leaves voicemails. Yeah, even though we love Kojo, so <laughs> no, we like Kojo. He's yeah. great. Kojo's awesome. Yeah, Kojo, I want a nine minute phone call from you next time. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so we're going to say keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Happy gaming. Yay. Roll for initiative.